This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 162, Evidence. I'm Hal Hammonds, and I am a citizen of heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for checking in. A few months ago, I got to speak to Jeremy DeHutt and Barry Brittnell about some of the work being done by Appian Media. This week, the founders of Appian Media are here, Craig DeHutt and Stuart Peck. I got to pick their brains about the effective use of evidence from archaeology and history in efforts to build faith in ourselves and others. In the first part of our conversation, we discussed the use of entertainment media, especially on behalf of our young people. Let's start with what I've been preaching. Every high school Bible class has a quarter on evidences. We read the books, we answer the questions, and yet not only do we fail to convince our friends in the world, an astonishing number of our own young people lose their faith. What is your favorite way to convince people that there is a God and that he is alive? Gentlemen, the floor is yours. Mm. Oh, man. I've really been drawn to uh, the archaeological process, and especially through the documentaries that we've created at Appian Media, looking at the artifacts that are coming out of the ground uh, that really just corroborate the scripture is true. And these events are true. And we're not just making this up. It's not a fanciful story. Here's an artifact that shows that it's true. I think that really has been faith building for me personally. I seem to find myself more and more when I do study my Bible, uh, and I'm teaching a United Kingdom class right now, to go out and look for sources of archaeology to pull into the study because of the fact that it is interesting that this this actually did occur. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. It's been really faith affirming for us in the last few years as we have kind of leaned more into that apologetic approach of the archaeology and the history, geography, even. Mm -hmm. The Bible is incredibly accurate when it comes to geographical descriptions. But I will say one of the things, it was actually one of the things that compelled me to finally make the decision to become a Christian when I was a teenager was the manuscript evidence. You've got documents like the book of Isaiah that scholars, no one can deny, were written hundreds of years prior to the time of Jesus. And yet you've got a passage like Isaiah 53 that very clearly describes Jesus. How do you explain that? Right. How do you explain that? And they can't. They'll try to, you know, debunk the author. They'll try to question the gospel accounts. But I could not, even as a teenager, get a logical answer for how could a writer in a completely different type of culture, communicate something so specific, especially regarding a form of execution that had not even been invented yet. Right. Hundreds of years prior to the event. And so that's something that I, I do lean into. I have had the opportunity to teach an evidences class to high school students and getting them to, to open their eyes and see that some of the most common criticisms of the biblical text are easily countered if you simply know a little bit of information. You've got a document written by 40 authors, multiple languages over, I believe it's 15, 1600 years. Hmm. How in the world could a document like that, a, co a collection 
of documents like that make one cohesive story right. without contradiction. Uh, that is a powerful testimony that this book is different. And so I've used that quite a bit. And we leaned into that uh, a good bit in our Searching for a King series when we were studying the, um, the first kings of Israel, Saul and David and Solomon. And that's where we started talking more with archaeologists and others. Mm-hmm. But we end that series at the cave of Qumran with the Dead Sea Scrolls and discussing how even when they found this new cache of biblical manuscripts, hundreds of years older than anything they had previously found, they all still matched up and corroborated each other. Um, it's a compelling argument. I'm fascinated by history. I think history is just one of my very favorite subjects, but a lot of people hate history and are kind of repulsed by it mm. and, and deliberately avoid looking at themselves in the context of history. And I think that kind of feeds into the idea whether in a biblical context or in a general context of not being able to see long spans of time, not being able to appreciate today versus a hundred years ago versus 500 years ago versus a thousand years ago. And I don't think that the Bible classes that I grew up on necessarily emphasize timelines and extensive periods of time and such. Craig, you were talking about how much time it took to write the Bible and that sort of thing. When you don't approach the Bible from a timeline kind of standpoint, you may lose that, especially since we just skip over at least half of Bible history, usually in our young people's classes. The Bible skips over 400 years of it as far as that goes. So, you know, maybe we're not completely to be blamed for that, but it's, it's difficult to appreciate Isaiah wrote the 700 years before the fact. How long is 700 years? What exactly does that mean? We were in the Middle Ages 700 years ago. Right. <laughs> you know, we didn't have electricity. We didn't have democracy. Uh, it was a completely different world back then. And, and I think to that point, uh, I think it's a very cultural thing. Uh, Western cultures don't seem to put as much emphasis on history, on lineage, on all of those things. When you look at the Bible, lineage is everything in the Old Testament. Uh, when you look at a lot of Eastern cultures and Middle Eastern cultures, family and lineage and the historical setting of how things came to be, it really matters to them. And we just don't put that much emphasis in our Western culture on all of that because of the fact, as you kind of alluded to, things have moved so quickly that uh, 500 years ago is even before this country was born. Right. We, we commonly say one of the things that we're trying to achieve with what we create is we are trying to give our audiences at least as much understanding of the history, the geography, the culture as the original recipients Mm -hmm. of those letters and documents had, because they, they have a leg up on us. At least us 21st century Americans where we don't have as firm of a grasp of the geography of the biblical lands. And we, we have very little grasp of their culture because it's so different than ours. We would do well to try and educate ourselves to at least have as much as they did. And with the tools and the abilities that we have to gain knowledge and, and do the research, 
with the touch of a button, a flip of a screen, we really have no excuse. And it enhances our Bible study so much when we work diligently to wrap our brains around the things that those original recipients already knew. Yeah. I I think if I say it once, I say it a hundred times and it's the Bible wasn't created in a vacuum. And there were things that were going on in the world around these people in this land that were occurring at the same time that the Bible was written. And what's really, really cool is when you start to open up the Bible and you see hints or nods toward these other cultures, these other civilizations, these other events, but then that's all it says. Well, it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. It means that you need to go outside of the Bible to to learn more about that history of that empire or of that land or whatever the case might be. It does require some extra work. It requires some extra research and it requires some extra time that Unfortunately, in our very busy schedules, we often don't want to afford uh, in our Bible study. We want to just answer the questions, go to the Bible verse, and be done and move on with our day. Well, in order to really appreciate history, you have to dig into it, and you have Mm -hmm. to chew on it, you have to meditate on it, and that requires time. But it's so valuable to giving you a a very three-dimensional, well-rounded view of what was happening in the Bible. Did you have this experience, Hal? Because I always, growing up, you've got in the back of your Bible, the several pages of maps. And those were the pages, at least in mine, that were pristine. Oh, yeah. Because I never went back there. <laughs> I never, <laughs> like the concordance and the Bible maps, like, why are they even back there? Oh, uh, sorry to disappoint you. I obsessed with Bible maps. You were the guy, no. okay. Well, I th- love Bible maps. Yeah. <laughs> I have come to appreciate them and bemoan the fact that I didn't start loving them until I was in my mid thirties. When I'm reading a passage now and a location is mentioned, I want to know where that is in relation to maybe some of the sites that we're all very familiar, you know, where is that in relation to Jerusalem? Where is that in relation to the sea of Galilee? Where is that maybe looking broader in relation to the country of Israel, man, it, it brings the text to life because it puts it on a map and we can go to Google maps and we can say, Oh, that's exactly where it says it was. And that's a distance of, cause this is something else. Those, those maps in the back of the Bibles don't do. They just don't give you a proper idea of scale. I did not realize how small of a country Israel was until you travel through it. And now I'm looking at those maps going, man, that's, I used to think that was like, Texas size. No, you you can fit Israel inside of the state of Indiana with massive amounts of room to spare. And so just trying to fully appreciate these are real places, which means these were real people, real events, and it, it changes the way that we study for sure. You know, I found myself thinking when, when you're comparing our generation to their generation in the context of appreciating history. There's a sense in which the nation of Israel was absolutely defined by their history. They are the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are the couriers of the line of David and the Messiah and all of that. That's how they saw themselves. But in a very real sense, I think maybe they made the same kind of mistake with history that we make, that you get caught up living your life on a day-to-day basis, a year-to-year basis, You don't see yourself as a product of the mistakes of your parents and the mistakes of your grandparents. You don't see 
you yourself at the end of any kind of series of events. You're just living your life. You're just doing your thing. And that's the way that we are sometimes. I try not to get snippy about it when people say they don't like history or they don't think history is relevant or whatever. You know, there's there's nothing relevant but history in, in a sense. It's this is who you are. This is where you came from. And if you don't understand what your context is, you understand the framework on which your life is built. Well, it's no wonder that you lose your way. It's no wonder that you lose your sense of identity. Why is it that the people of Israel refuse to act like the people of Israel so often? Well, because they forget who they are, that they're just caught up living their life in the world. That's what we do today. And maybe going back to appreciation of history and geography and where we came from in terms of faith, maybe that can reinforce some support systems to keep us going, to help us realize why we're here and what we're all about, as opposed to just, you know, the people in the land of Canaan who they, they seem to be living a pretty cool life. They're doing some pretty cool things. Maybe I'll do that kind of thing. Yeah, we we are actually given an opportunity this past weekend. Appian Media had a booth at the Great Homeschool Convention in Ohio, and uh, we were allowed to to give a couple of workshops. And it was one of the things that we talked about. It simply takes one generation. When you look at the end of Joshua's life, as they enter into the period of the, the judges, what a dark period of history. God's people entered into because Mm -hmm. one generation failed to teach the next about who God was and what he had done. So Joshua's generation, these are the people who had survived the wilderness because their parents had disobeyed and refused to enter the land. But they themselves were able to see Jordan split apart. They watched the walls of Jericho fall down flat because they had simply walked around it. And those people didn't communicate well enough to their kids who God was and what he had done. And all it took was the death of Joshua and the leaders of that generation. And it said that a generation arose that did not know the Lord or the things that he had done for Israel. You see what that did to their culture, to their economy, to their their morality, And so we are very much inspired. It it goes back to part of your question. You know, you're talking about high school students. You're talking about young people. And and why do we see, it seems, so many young people either losing their faith in high school or getting it ripped out of them when they go to college? I think part of the blame, maybe not all of it, but part of the blame lies on us as parents not getting our kids to appreciate not just who God is. I see a lot of parents teaching their kids, this is who God is, this is the Bible, it's true. But I think we need to emphasize a lot more frequently what he's done for us. God changed me into a different person. You know, I was one way, and then God redeemed me and made me better. And getting our young people to realize this is not just a history book that we want you to memorize and know the facts. That's important. That's meaningful, but we also want you to see this is a book unlike any other because it's communicating a God who's a being unlike any other, who has done great things in my life, and I want you to know about it, and our kids need to hear that 
I think a lot more frequently than they do. Um, and again, it, it goes back to, this is how Appian Media started, mm-hmm. right? It started with you, Stu, right. recognizing this in young people. And you were seeing they're not engaging with this text like I know they ought to be. Right. What can we do? What can we do to inspire that, that appreciation and that love for God again? Yeah. Um, it's a big responsibility. It is. It is. It's a generational responsibility too. Um, you know, and, you know, as kind of was mentioned, uh, it's not fully the church's responsibility. It's the parents' responsibility. And so you think about just like Craig said in, in Joshua, you think about as each generation finds this to be less and less relevant for their life, that is less and less that's getting passed down. And and so it then becomes not a surprise when you see kids walk into a Bible class who are like, yeah. I, this really isn't my thing. I'm just here because mom and dad say I have to be here. Well, it's because they saw a generation before them who were not as engaged with the text as maybe they needed to be. And that's a sad thing. It really is. And so you have to really, I know this isn't a parenting podcast, but you know, you have to really work hard to kind of buck the trend or rewire in a way to go, no, no, I have to within me make this a relevant thing Mm -hmm. if I expect my kids to find that that it's relevant. Well, as far as I'm concerned, all of my episodes are parenting podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing how frequently it comes back around. That's right. Is there any aspect that has has really jumped out with regard to your studies, your explorations, et cetera, that resonates more with young people or with with adults as far as that goes? Yeah, I think uh, what we're learning is that people do love the archaeology of the stuff that we do. We have several, I mean, Searching for a King, as Craig mentioned, is heavy in archaeology. And the most recent documentary we've we've produced, Trial and Triumph, which is on Revelation's uh, churches, the seven churches of Revelation, is also heavy in archaeology. And uh, recently, Craig and I went to Houston and covered an event, a press conference, looking at a curse tablet that was uh, discovered at Mount Ebal in, in Israel. And that video on our YouTube channel has, has blown up in a way that we, uh, yeah, we just didn't even anticipate happening. But I think it all says that people really do uh, find the archaeology interesting. And I don't know if it's because they think it's like Indiana Jones or <laughs> if it's just fascinating to see history come out of the ground. But, you know, there's always that element that we like to play with, which is, hey, look, it's alive, it's real. There's discoveries that are still being made today uh, that have impact on the on the scripture that we read. So, and then I can, you know, I can speak for for my kids. I I have an, an eight year old, a six year old, and a four year old, and they've all seen the stuff that we've produced uh, multiple times, uh, and they still ask for it, which is great. It's nice. Um, but I have heard them when they go to Bible class and they learn about the woman at the well, I've heard them come back and say, I remember what that looked like because you showed that to us. Or the Valley of Elah is, is my son Ethan's, one of his favorite places because it's his favorite story where David fought Goliath and we're able to go to that place. In fact, it's, it's one of my favorite scenes of the Searching for a King series where Barry one of our co-hosts is there in the valley with Jeremy and he simply chooses to open up first Samuel and read David's response to Goliath before he strikes him in the head. Barry is just there 
reading from the scripture in the place that it happened. And it is an emotional thing for Barry, and it was for all the rest of us. There is something powerful about putting God's word where God's word actually took place. And so the archaeology, I think, does that for sure. It helps us ground it in the real. And then I would say along with that, making sure that we let the word do what the word was intended to do. And, and we really leaned into that in trial and triumph. You know, this is Revelation chapter one through three. And throughout the documentary, we read almost the entirety of those three chapters through, throughout it. So chapter one is, is the, the description of Jesus appearing to John on the island of Patmos. And we make sure to let that scripture do its thing. Jeremy reads it aloud and we do our best to provide meaningful visuals to get you to use your imagination as John wanted his readers to do when they read that. It's, it's a combination of all of these things. The archaeology all by itself would probably be akin to some of those boring historical videos that the kids can't right. sit through in Correct. class. You know? yeah. But just focusing on the culture and not really doing anything more than that, yeah. I don't think would be as effective. Combining that with the archaeology, with the geography, with the inspired written word, and letting them all work together mm-hmm. seems to really uh, ignite their imaginations in, in some meaningful ways. Have you noticed in your dealings with people in local churches, your own children, et cetera, have you noticed a demonstrable change in people's faith and people's approach to the Bible because of the things that Happy Media is doing? We hear stories. We definitely hear stories of people who have said that they've been reinforced in their faith because of watching our content. We hear stories from groups who uh, have used Appian Media's content in Bible studies and seen a really positive response in terms of participation and even honestly attendance in those Bible studies. I think that's all super encouraging. And what it, what it tells us is that people gravitate toward good media and good study of the Bible combined together. That's what we want. We want people to, you know, watch a video that we've created and then go, oh, that's really interesting and open up their Bible and dig deeper into it and study it more Mm -hmm. now with new imagery in their minds as to what these places look like. And quite a variety of those too. I typically am the one reading and responding to our social networks and comments that people leave on there, Uh, Facebook and YouTube, especially that audience has grown fairly significantly. Some of the, I mean, there are so many, there are hundreds, but we actually featured a couple in our most recent series in Trial and Triumph, this couple who at the time they first reached out to us were living in Saudi Arabia, right? where it is against the law to practice openly Christianity. And they could not find a place to assemble on Sundays. The, you know, it was just the two of them or a very small group of, of other Bible believers. And so they would use our content as a way to draw strength and encouragement while they were so far from home in a fairly hostile environment. And they sent us a message and thanked us for that. These were complete strangers to us. And our content is being viewed across the world. But then you also hear of ladies' Bible studies right. in, in Florida, where they said last year, it was everything we could to to try and encourage people to come to this. And there were just a small handful of us. Once we started using this content, 
we've multiplied by four or five times and they're much more excited about, and, and they were studying the gospel. So it wasn't anything they hadn't heard before, at least biblically, but it was adding an element that, that reignited the excitement that we think should be there whenever you study the Bible. Countless stories. We try to share more of these. We've been trying to do that more in the last few months, especially of people saying, I'm reading the Bible in a way I've never done before. And that's our favorite thing to hear is I'm not as interested to hear people say, I binged watched all 10 hours of your content. I didn't sleep or eat or, (laughs) you know, well, uh, good for you, I guess. Uh, What I love to hear is when people say, I watched this episode and I read through the book of first Samuel. And I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's what we're after. And that just gets me very excited. The story I love to tell from our first year, uh, we were at a screening. This is before the entire Fallen Messiah series had come out. So we only had half of that series done. And a high school aged kid walked up to me at a screening and said, you made the Bible cool for me. And I was like, I stopped and I thought about that. I, was, I thanked him and said, oh, I appreciate that. And then I stopped and said, man, but the Bible was already cool. But what, what I realized was in his head, he put the Bible in a new place in his mind. He may have put it in a place with Netflix or the video games that he plays or whatever the case might be, but it was now in that place versus this place where it was like, oh man, I have to study the Bible. I have to go to church. I have to do fill in the blank. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was extremely powerful because that's kind of what we want to happen is we want people to move the Bible from being this stuffy, dusty book that they have to study to a place where it's like, I want to sit down and study this. I want to sit down and consume this content because of the fact that I know I am going to grow from that experience. Yeah. And again, the the trick is not, we are not interested at all in changing the Bible so that that can be moved in there. Like, that's not what we're trying to do at all. Right. The Bible is completely fine all by itself. It's perfect and has been for millennia, but we're trying to simply get it to shift in a list of priorities in their minds. This is not something they have to do. It's something they want to do. And and Bible study becomes more essential in their life as it should in all of ours. And I wish I could say, ah, since we've formed Appian Media, I've been the best biblical, you know, Bible student ever. But it certainly has gotten me. Um, I find myself following, I guess you could say, rabbit holes in my Bible study, mm-hmm. where previously it wouldn't have even sparked any kind of question. And then I go down this thing and realize I've been hunting through the Bible for 30 minutes now because I'm so fascinated and I want Mm. to know the answer. And it's so rich that I can just keep combing and keep combing through it. We hope that, Hey, if, if a a scene from one of our videos can get that to happen in someone's mind and someone's heart, that's what we're after. Yeah. I'm a big fan of living in the real world, you know, accepting reality instead of trying to live in a world that we would rather live in. You know, with regard to to young people, well, they ought to be able to just read the Bible and be content with that and be interested in that and be motivated in that. And we shouldn't need all the bells and whistles and we shouldn't need all the extra stuff. And well, okay, if you want to make that argument, fine. You know, maybe, maybe that's not a bad argument. I don't know. But the bottom line is 
this generation and most likely every other generation we're going to know in our lifetime is obsessed with and defined by devices and media and bells and whistles, whatever pejorative term you want to use for it. They expect to be entertained. They expect to be engaged on a multi-level aspect. And you can protest that. You can pretend like it's not true, or you can try to, to play with that. You can try to present the Bible, like Craig was saying, present the, the actual word of God, but maybe do it in a modern format, do it in a an interesting, engaging kind of format, something they're used to watching. If they're used to watching Netflix, if they're used to watching YouTube, give them something that looks like a YouTube video, but make it, you know, make it Bible centered, make it exciting, something that's, that's entertaining. And I'm sure you get this all the time, but the one thing that, that really grabbed my attention when I started watching Happy Media Productions is this stuff looks good. I mean, this looks like Hollywood stuff. This looks like, like actual production, people who have some money, people who have good equipment. They're, they're making a movie. They're making a documentary. That grabs my attention. Now, I could, you could argue that maybe it shouldn't. You could argue maybe I ought to have higher priorities than that. But what's wrong with doing something good if you're doing it for the Lord? So, you know, commendations to you guys mm. for putting your best foot forward with regard to that. The content itself should be able to stand on its own, and it has for millennia. And I mean by content, the biblical text. Right. We're not trying to alter it or improve upon it. We're trying to get people re-engaged with it. And the, the illustration that I've used with people who would say, well, you know, we don't need to be chasing every new technology. I'm content with the book and the book is all that I need. The question that I would ask is, well, what did the people in the 14th century do before books were invented? Yeah. Because for thousands of years, the only way to consume God's word was to go to the synagogue and hear someone read it to you because they were on a scroll and a large portion of people, common people, were illiterate. And so eventually someone comes along, they're able to start writing books, but those are done by hand and they take forever. Most people are not going to have a personal copy of the Bible, but someone with the Gutenberg press says, I figured out the technology that will allow us to quickly print books so that everyone can have a copy, their own copy of the Bible. I've never heard anyone criticize that step in technology. Right. We would all say that was a huge benefit to Bible study because now I've got the book in my own home. It has now since become the most sold book in human history. And so we are not trying to improve upon the word. We are simply trying to increase the access to it. And this is a way, it's why we are called Appian Media, the concept of the Appian Way, using a roadway that has already existed in our case, it's the internet and media to get the Bible out farther and faster, um, similar to what was done with the Gutenberg Press. Well, and I think, honestly, the reality of it is um, we have to keep upping our game because the world keeps upping their game. And, you know, there is a limited resource, and that is our time. And our children 
they have their phones, they have their devices, and they have Netflix and YouTube and all these other services that I'm just too old to even know what they are. And like, we're all competing for their time. And unfortunately, it shouldn't be this way, but it is. The Bible is competing for their time. And so when I get on my phone, I have to make a choice whether I'm going to click on the YouTube app, whether I'm going to click on the Bible app, whether I'm going to click on the Appian Media app, and I'm going to have to choose what I'm consuming. If our content isn't good, they're going to choose something different. Uh, That's just the reality of it. And so we have to make it look good and... uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying this in a, in a bragging way. We have to make it compete with Netflix. And unfortunately we don't have the budgets that Netflix does, but I think we have the, we have the, the right people. We have a lot of talented people on our team that make good content on very, very slim budgets. And it's definitely a passion project. And, uh, when we create something, we, we know that, uh, if you watch Appian Media's content, you are not watching something else at the moment. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.